Hi, my name is Irfan Vafai. And I'm Molly Keck. And I'm Wizzy Brown. And we are with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension through the Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. This week, we are talking about something that has been in the news recently. We are going to be talking cicadas and brood X. So I, I know that I have experienced these personally. Well, not brood X particularly, but I've been in the brood because I grew up in the Midwest. And that is where a lot of these actually take place. I'm assuming you guys don't have a lot of personal experience with these? No, never, never seen any cicadas outside of South Central Texas. Outside of the normal annoying ones that we get every year. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not the not the massive broods, which is um, a little disappointing. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that it's it's not really in Texas so much uh, because I was looking forward to really catching a whole lot and cooking some, <laughs> um, but my supply did not arrive. <laughs> we need to do a podcast on that whole topic right there. On just eating insects. Yes, You're abs- there you go. Tune in next time <laughs> on entomophagy, the eating of insects. Back to these periodical cicadas. So you've experienced them, right, Wizzy? I, I digress. So the brood X or brood 10, as it depends you know, if you want to do Roman numerals or not, it's one of many, many broods that they give numbers to. And there's about 15 different broods that they have. And they're generally based on emergence years, but also where they emerge. So you can actually go online and find a map and it will show you all of the different broods and what year they are emerging and what areas of the country they're emerging. But these are going to be typically on the eastern seaboard through the Midwest. And then some of them go down south into like Oklahoma. We do have some that are in a very northeastern part of Texas. But we have Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. So there are some of those southern states as well. But as far as the majority of Texas, we're not going to see these numbers. Everybody asks me, because, you know, being in Texas, we're so used to cicadas every year. You know, you always get those calls in the summertime. There's these things, they're chirping, they're making me crazy. Those would be the cicadas. But the numbers of the brood X are astronomical. And there's a really cool thing. I mean, there's a reason that they emerge in these massive massive numbers of it's actually has a term it's called prey satiation and so what it's doing is the cicadas are emerging out in such large numbers that everything can eat them the birds and the lizards and the mammals and whatever and there's still plenty to mate and lay eggs and create more cicadas so they're just basically just throwing themselves out there in these huge, huge numbers. Yeah, I think I saw sometimes also called predator satiation as well. And it's like there was this one study that I think found that predation accounted for about 15% 
during the peak of these cicada emergence, like 15.15, which is not a whole lot, but during the tail ends of their emergence, you know, when they're just first starting to emerge or at the, at the you know, when they're a little bit late to emerge, it's about 100% predation. So that kind of puts more pressure on the cicadas to emerge in an even tighter and tighter window. So again, you know, they are falling into that window where the predators can only eat so much. You know, if they spread their emergence throughout that whole summer, oh man, that means like you're satiating those predators throughout the whole summer. Like there's like a 24 hour buffet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's imagine uh, you go to a buffet and you got 10 pizzas. You can only eat so much pizza. Whereas if those 10 pizzas were spread over two weeks, oh, there's a good chance you could eat all that pizza. And so that's kind of I thought that was kind of an interesting strategy. Kind of, the cicadas I mean, were it's really, there. really cool. Nature is neat. And the thing is, they're, like you said, they're not out that long. I mean, usually they emerge and then they're gone probably within about a month and a half and yeah. it's, it's wow. over. They must be on the, the downward decline right now because it seems like they emerged. Well, they're, they're emerging and they're out already before our regular Texas cicadas are. So are we getting close to the end of a month and a half or are they at their peak right now? So brood X will go probably through the end of June. Okay. And of course, you know, you'll have those stragglers that kind of emerge out even later. But, you know, like Irfan said, those are going to probably be eaten. Not a problem. This is not just one species of cicada that makes that. And that's why it's generally a brood because there are multiple species of this. And I think with the brood X, there are three species that actually emerge during this period of time, but it can go anywhere up to seven species for some of these wow. broods. And the, the cool thing about brood X is it has the greatest range for the 17 year cicadas, which are the different brood numbers. And it also has the largest brood numbers that are uh, calculated. And they typically will start to emerge. Usually it's based on ground temperature because the immatures are gonna be in the ground. So these are insects that have, you know, egg, they have five nymphal instars, which it takes them 17 years to get through those five nymphal instars. That's why they're called 17 year cicadas. And then they merge out as an adults and the adults don't live that long. They're only going to be like a couple of weeks that the adults survive. And their whole job is to emerge, find mates, mate, lay eggs. And then essentially those adults are going to die and they can either be eaten or if they aren't eaten, then they turn into fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> they just get composted. So it's all good. Are all of those same three to seven species, I think you said, do they all look that same color where they're kind of like a really dark brown, almost black and orangey, or do they vary? They can vary, but a lot of them will have those like orangey red eyes. There are some um, different colors. Some of them have like a mm -hmm. blue eyes. Have you ever seen cicadas that have the blue eyes? And then some of them have like white eyeballs. Oh, no, I haven't. Um, most of them have those like beady kind of reddish orange eyes. It was interesting. I was also reading how just something as simple as a severe storm can uh cause a whole lot of mortality uh, in cicadas as well. So they're relatively delicate. And there's things like, you know, birds and there's shrews and possums and all kinds of different things that eat them. Uh, what I found really interesting was this um, special type of fungus yes. uh, that infects them. Yeah. And it, so it does, 
a, a few things. Uh, one, for starters, I mean, it affects them and basically makes their butts fall off. So they're sometimes <laughs> referred to as like these you know, salt shakers of death because they're, you know, as they fly around or move around, like this, the fungal spores are basically coming off of their rear end and infecting other cicadas. And also it alters their, um, their mating habits. So the males are the ones that are making, as I understand, males are the ones making those like buzzing noises, uh, to attract females and the females actually beat their wings to attract males. Now males that are infected with this fungus will actually do both. So they'll sing and they'll beat their wings so they can attract, it's actually like a sexually transmitted fungus. <laughs> so they can actually like attract both mates or different, I should say both sexes and infect them both, uh, which I thought was kind of a really interesting, mind-blowing um, kind of manipulation that the fungus does. That is so cool. Cicadas have an STD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So hear that, cicadas, <laughs> always use protection because you never know if you are about to mate with a salt shaker of death. <laughs> now, apparently that, that fungus also, sorry, i still talking about this fungus because I think it's so cool. It also, it produces a chemical that is also found in psychedelic mushrooms. Oh. Not at all encouraged because we don't know what the dosage is. Don't eat the cicadas. Yeah, like not at all encouraged that one try to do cicadas, but um, it was it was funny because it was an entomology lab that discovered this and all of a sudden they were quite concerned that, you know, they're working with an illicit drug that they didn't have, um, you know, the certificates to really work on. You know? And so they were worried that, oh shoot, we're going to, you know, DA is going to bust in here and, and uh, take all of our stuff because we're working with these psychedelic drugs. But um yeah, don't. Yeah, it is not at all. You know, it doesn't know. We don't know the, the actual dosage or whether that should be safe at all and not at all something you want to think about. But it's just kind of interesting that those same compounds are in there. Perhaps what is making them, you know, change their mating behavior so drastically? Maybe so. They're high, yeah. high cicadas. Yeah, exactly. That is I, I'm just, yeah, it, it's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, so people always ask that haven't experienced this or been through this, they ask, you know, what, what's the big deal? Because in Texas, we have cicadas every summer and we're just like, oh yeah, you know, they're kind of annoying. They're loud, blah, blah, blah. Um, the numbers of these cicadas that emerge is just astronomical. Um, I remember visiting my parents during one of these emergences and the ground actually looked like it had been aerated because there were so many holes from the cicadas emerging out of the ground. And then the other thing is they can cause damage to younger trees. So if you live in the Brood X area, you hmm. don't want to plant trees this spring, wait until the fall. They will lay their eggs. The females will lay their eggs in the uh, small branches and twigs, like the new growth on the trees. And those branches will actually kind of die off from where they lay the eggs. And then they break off and fall to the ground. And then those cicadas will emerge and go down into the ground. And they stay down there for 17 years and they feed on the sap of the tree roots. But apparently not enough to cause damage where, I mean, if, if they're in there for 17 years feeding on that sap or maybe not feeding the whole 17 years, but that's pretty amazing that they're in that many numbers 
but they're not hurting any of the, there's, you know, there's really no management needed for them. Right. Exactly. And, and they don't bite, they don't sting. I mean, it's more of a annoying, you know, kind of crunching along the ground as you try to do anything outside <laughs> at this time of year. And of course the noise is just astronomical, which, you know, Irfan was mentioning that they create sound. The males will make a sound and some of these are really, really loud. Uh, there is a cicada that is actually clocked as the, you know, world's loudest insect. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we don't have it here in Texas, fortunately. Again, it's, um, it's actually in Southeast Asia, but they make the calls to do different things. They have like alarm calls or distress calls. They have, of course, the ones that will attract a mate. And a lot of times when they're doing the mating calls, they will chorus together where you have all of the different cicadas kind of chirping at the same time. And that kind of amplifies the sound. And that way they can draw in more females. Have you ever like been in a, been somewhere where there are a lot of trees and it's like this clump of trees to my right is making the noise. And then it's like a wave, the noise moves to your left or something. It's, it's like they, they or, or they'll just ramp up all at one time. And you keep saying chirping, but when I think of cicadas, I think of like metallic, it's like a, a chainsaw or something to me, it has a really metallic sound. It's kind of like a, an alien I don't know, some like weird alien communication. I learned also that all species have their own specific sounds, but then like you said, one species can have multiple calls. So they have different like decibels uh, to their sound. And one time I had a, a guy that was really concerned about the cicadas in, in this natural area. So he made me go out there with a net and we collected some and sent it off to A&M. And it was just a regular cicada, but it was a, it was a different species that they don't often see, I guess, in that area. And so it sounded unlike anything he had ever seen. To me, it just sounded like cicadas, but was able to learn through Ed Riley at the A&M um, Collection Museum that all species make a different sound. And I didn't realize also that there were multiple species in Texas that look really similar. I think we have about 50 species of cicadas in Texas. Yeah, you know, of course, various parts. A lot. Texas is divided up into very distinct environmental areas and they're going to be in different situations. But yeah, and you know the, the sound that they make can really vary for people and how it may be annoying because it's all about the decibels that you hear. And some people are like, oh, it's so lovely. That's the sounds of summer. And then other people are just like, oh, they're back. <laughs> yeah. My very first year in extension, I had a woman call me that summer and she hated cicadas because they could not enjoy their porch and being outside at night because it was just so loud. And she was, she wanted to figure out how you could commercialize and purchase cicada killer wasps so she could release <laughs> them and kill all the cicadas. Amazing. And I'm like you, Izzy. I was like, that's the sound of summer. That's just what you hear. And I don't know. I like the idea of a cicada killer farm. That just sounds, <laughs> uh, sounds like a killer idea. <laughs> I, I found it really neat learning about how uh, the 17-year cicada, because in some areas, like when you look on a local level, all those 17-year cicadas can come out within a few days. So like how, how do they count exactly 17 years? 
And there's uh, some entomologists in, um, well, it was a collaborative team, but um, that included UC Davis that uh, manipulated a number of things, one of which was just the plant phenology. So they manipulated basically, uh, you know, how frequently the plant went in bloom by putting them in these like environmentally controlled chambers. And they found that by manipulating it, they were able to make some of these cicadas emerge a little bit earlier. And so based on that, it's thought that it's just uh, the, the plant cycles, which then would manipulate the nutritional quality when those roots, which would then act as a bit of a clock for those cicadas, was what they used to determine that, you know, how long that it's actually been. Uh, and that experiment didn't go for 17 years. They actually were able to dig up and transplant 15-year-old oh, wow. 17 year cicadas wait how did they know they were 15 well well i don't know if it was the specific brood that they were working with but they had some i mean they had some that they put in the manipulated environment and some that they also transplanted in a, in a typical environment and so the ones in the typical environment took that extra year whereas the ones in the manipulated environment came out a year early i mean i i didn't read the full methods of the study but uh, you know, as to know exactly how they knew there were 15, but I think it was because, I mean, they've been working with these cicadas for a long time and just trying to transplant cicadas. Apparently there's very high mortality and it, it took them a while just to develop the methodology to be able to move these underground cicadas uh, from one habitat to a different one. So I wonder if that is why we don't see those periodical cicadas further south because our weather is so unpredictable and spring might happen in February one year versus April another year. And so you have these, you know, this wide range of, of temperature before things get any, any kind of consistent, which means very hot. That's the only thing consistency we have, right? But but in other parts of the United States, they have typical weather and they have true seasons and they can really predict when temperatures are going to change. And so plants do the same thing year after year. So I wonder if if that's a factor and why we don't have them here or they haven't made their way south here. That's that's an interesting yeah thought there. Just the idea that you know anywhere that has those cold snaps, you go through some very distinct seasonality with the plants. Whereas areas down here, uh, it's a little bit more consistent. It's just like either hot or a little mm -hmm. less hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing, have you guys ever heard someone say that they have a locust problem? These are locusts and not cicadas. I have. In fact, when I was a kid growing up, I called them locusts. It wasn't until I got into college and took an entomology course that I started calling them cicadas. And also down here, we call them chichadas. Chichadas? Is That's that the, the Spanish, is the Spanish word for it? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. wow. Chichadas. It sounds a lot more appetizing that when you call it that. sounds fancy. Mm -hmm, they do. It does. It sounds like it like should be a snack, like a crispy little <laughs> snack, like chicharron. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's thought that, well, of course, you know, first of all, locusts are a type of grasshopper, which is in a completely different order. Grasshoppers are in orthoptera, and these are going to be in uh, heteroptera. And the cicadas are thought to have obtained the name locust because they have these mass emergences, and they thought early settlers were kind of equating them to the plague, the biblical plagues, which were always mm. locusts. And so that's how they mm. kind of got into that locust type thing. Because I know when I was growing up, everybody 
everybody called them locusts. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that was the thing. The locusts are coming. It's like, yeah. There, there must have been some shift in that because I, I mean, I called them that. My parents called them that. Everyone I knew called them that. But nowadays, like you go, I go and talk to schools and stuff, and those kids seem to call them all cicadas. I rarely hear people calling them locusts. So I wonder that maybe it was the periodical um, cicadas being in the news. And so people learn differently, but I don't hear it as often as I used to. Well, and everybody is all up on this tracking of the different broods and the brood X is in the news all over the place. Um, they actually have a, an app if like, obviously not here in Texas, we can't use it because we're not in the thick of brood X, but if you're traveling to a brood X area, um, there is an app that you can put on your phone called Cicada Safari that will actually help people get data that they're tracking brood X. So if you are in one of the areas where brood X is emerging within, you know, the period of time through, I, I would say the end of Ju June into maybe early July, then you can do that. Or if you're listening to us and you live in one of those areas, <laughs> then you can certainly use that application as well. And there's also, um, there's a website that is all about cicadas. It's called Cicada Mania. Have you guys checked that, that out? I have not. But I will be right now. Is that a website that's there to entertain cicadas? That's what it sounds like. Maybe. <laughs> if they if they can use their little tarsi to tap on the keys, then you know, they might actually enjoy it. But it has a ton of information. And the person that does that, they are doing like regular posts and updates on brood X and the emergence in the different areas where it's coming and the effects of rain that's going on stuff. And so, I mean, I think whoever runs that is a very uh, dedicated person or a huge cicada enthusiast. <laughs> one of the well, two. Both. both. <laughs> yeah, both. both. Yeah. So I think we already mentioned it, but uh, so brood X is mainly in Indiana and in Ohio. Is that right? It's in Western Ohio, yes. But we also have, there's a, another group that is in Tennessee, kind of in the Eastern part of Tennessee. And then also um, Pennsylvania, kind of like the Southeastern portion of Pennsylvania and Maryland and Delaware. I used to have a coworker who had a house in Tennessee. He and his wife were originally from there and they kept a house there and they would go visit every now and then. And, and, uh, he was still working at our office when the Tennessee brood came out and he went back for the summer to like visit his daughter or something. And I asked him, can you scoop some up for me? And he actually went back after they emerged, but he had called his daughter and asked her to scoop some for me. And it was a full gallon bag full of cicadas that she, you know, just scooped easily out of her front yard. Wow. But by the time it made it back to Texas, even though it was in a cooler and frozen, it smelled, oh. I had, I couldn't save a single one to put in a collection. It smelled so bad. I got in trouble in my office yet again. I always do. <laughs> Um, I had to take it out to the dumpster. It was like gag worthy and I have a pretty tough stomach. So it's, it's pretty nasty. You know, people think that when we have the massive cricket emergences, that's, you know, multiply that by, oh, I don't know, like a thousand. I cannot even imagine. It's not just at the front door. It's everywhere. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, mayflies when I lived in like right across from Detroit in Canada, yes. we had such large populations this one year 
that I remember our street just being covered. Like you couldn't walk without stepping on their carcasses, right? And that crunching noise and your house is just covered. The nighttime, the lamps, it just looked like a massive buzzing ball Uh uh, around those light posts. Like an orb. Uh, Yeah, like a massive living orb. Yeah, I remember (laughs) it. It was like by the end, by after a couple of weeks, like you just start feeling sick because it's just like all these dead, gross insects (laughs) everywhere. When you walk inside your house, you track them in. So same way here, like at least in East Texas, you track in some pine needles. There was like dead mayflies, a little track (laughs) of dead mayflies going into your house. You know, I think somebody's missing out on... I don't know, like a real opportunity here. They can turn this into like some tourist thing where they follow it around. You know, they had the people that followed around the Grateful Dead. They could totally set something up where they're following around the different broods of cicadas and watching them emerge because, you know, you could travel and see the United States and you could also see all these beautiful yeah. bugs and you know, just think of the t-shirts. <laughs> I'm, I'm already thinking of a food truck that would follow them. <laughs> like cicada specific meals. Uh, cicada kebabs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that are spiced with cicada salt, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we hope that you learned about a little bit about cicadas and a little bit more about Brood X. So as I said earlier, Brood X is not going to be visiting us here in Texas, unfortunately. Wow. But we will be getting our normal cicadas in the next month or so. So, you know, whether it's irritating or the sounds of summer, prepare yourself because our cicadas will be emerging soon. This is Wizzy Brown. I'm Molly Keck. Airfon Bafai. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service and the Department of Entomology. We hope to catch you next time. Thanks.